You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Now, a myth is something that gets circulated and very popular and everybody buys into it, but it's not true. We, we find people talking about Eve biting the apple, and we say that, but the Bible never says it was an apple. You all with me? We don't have no idea if it was an apple. I, and I've heard some tremendous myths. I've heard some that people wish were true. Um, but it has never had any scripture to back it up. And sitting in a congregation like you are right now, it would be easy for you to say, well, you know what, what difference do I make? It's a big church. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else can take my role whether it's in the nursery, whether it's in the parking lot, sound booth, lights, media. Somebody else will do it. God's got plenty of people. There's two ways to look at this, and I'll bear this out as, as we unfold this message and I unpack this. But there's a couple of things that happens when we refuse to do what God created us to do. When, when we refuse... Number one, that person that would have been reached or those people that would have been reached are still lost. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't send someone else to do what you were supposed to do. What it means is that if God sends somebody else to do what He called you to do, they get the blessing in this life and the life to come for doing what you were supposed to do. Now, one of two things can happen. Maybe, maybe they're not reached. What if Paul did not go to Macedonia when he saw the vision of them saying, come over into Macedonia and help us? Would God have sent someone else? I don't know. He might have, and then, then again, he may not have. But in either case, we would lose out by not doing what God called us to do. I want you to understand that God created you unique an individual. As much as some of us might look alike, even though you're considered identical twins, there's still some differences. Um, God did not make us just alike. God did not create us just alike. And that's amazing to me. Because think about the things that we mass produce on a mass scale, and they are all just alike. Huh? Ford F-150. Now, I know you can get some options and all that, but they produce that line and they produce thousands and thousands of them. Hello? Whatever it is that you buy, it might be a vacuum cleaner, it's mass-produced, and they are just alike. Um, and, and on and on it goes. But when God created us, we are the top. We are the apple of His eye, the chief creation, and He made none of us alike. Seven billion people on planet Earth and none of us alike. That is incredible. How does God have that much diversity? Amen? Now, I know there's things where we generalize. We say, well, they're white. Well, they're black. Well, we don't have the same DNA. We don't have the same fingerprints. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So, so we're not just alike, although we are God's great creation, but there's a myth out there that says someone else will do it. And as I was preparing this past week, um, I, I thought about what if someone else don't? And I got researching a little bit. How many of you remember Zig Ziglar? Huh? 
He was a great motivational speaker. And he wrote something back in 1992, and I come across it, and he was preaching a funeral for a great man, obviously. Name someone else. Our church is saddened to learn this week of the death of one of our most valued members, someone else. Someone's passing creates a vacancy that will be difficult for us to fill. Else has been with us for many years, and for every one of those years, someone did far more than a normal person's share of the work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, one name was on everyone else's list. Let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this person was looked to for inspiration as well as for results. Someone else can work that group. Someone else can do that or host that. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most liberal givers in our church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful, wonderful person, sometimes appearing almost superhuman. Were the truth known, everybody expected too much out of someone else. Now someone else is gone. We wonder what we're going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example for us to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who is going to do the things that someone else did? Who's going to fill the shoes that someone else filled? When you're asked to help this year, and in the next few moments, you remember, we cannot depend on someone else anymore. Amen. What if someone don't? What if they don't step up? You know, um, I want you to understand this, that it is not the will of God for you and I to sit idle when there's so much work to be done. There's nothing more disheartening than to be part of a work crew that you look around and old brother Johnny is sitting on the stool drinking Kool-Aid all day. And there you are working yourself to a frazz. I mean, your muscles are sore, you're real tired, you look around and there's old Johnny again on a smoke break. And then, uh, uh, that's just how it is. But you see, how is it that that we can sit aside and do nothing when there is so much work to be done. And we say that Jesus Christ is coming. And we see the signs that He is coming. And by all accounts, His coming is imminent. But it does not seem to motivate God's people enough to get off of their lethargic behinds. Are you with me? Say amen. Filled with apathy and filled with uh, lethargy that we just sit aside and think, well, you know, it's a great church. It's a big church. You know, pastor's got a good staff and they're motivated and they'll get somebody to do it. Without realizing the truth that someone else is gone. The task at hand could be left undone. We cannot afford for the job to be left undone. Well, you know, we could ill afford that, I tell you. God, I want you to consider the results 
if, if we don't do what God's called us to do. Think about the price that we could pay or that they could pay. Just think about it. If your son or daughter was hurt in a catastrophic accident on I-95 right now, and the people saw them wreck and tumble and be catapulted and uh, hurled out the car door because they wouldn't wear a seatbelt uh, or whatever. And they just decided, well, I got things to do in Orlando. Just keep on digging, keep on driving. Well, you would want them to stop. You would want them to go over and put their finger on their neck. You would want them to, to, to grab them and see if they're breathing, see if they need CPR, someone to call 911. Wouldn't everybody want that? If something happened to me or my family or one of my children or one of you, I would hope that somebody would, would stop and do something. And I want to tell you the truth. The world is wrecking. The world has crashed. All around us there's emergencies everywhere. And we keep right on driving. We got something to do. We got a big church meeting. Let me say this. I might be on my way to the biggest meeting the church has ever had. But if somebody's lying, dying on the side of the road and I don't stop to help them, what good am I doing? There are times when we have to set aside our agenda and say, you know what, I'd love to do this today, but there's something more pressing. Something that I was born for. Something that I was called for. Something that God has strategically placed me in a position to do, and nobody else can do it. I want to say to you, if someone is laying here dying, and they need somebody to do chest compressions, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to be a surgeon. You just have to be a willing vessel right now until somebody else gets here. I know you're not paid like the doctor. I know you're not paid like the nurses or whatever. But you don't need to worry about that right now. Somebody's dying. And you can do something if you will. We cannot live in this mythical world that somebody else will do it. Somebody will take care of the babies back there. they got plenty of people. Melinda, oh goodness, she's a great children's director. they got plenty of everything's working back there. Don't worry about it. Out of sight, out of mind. But what if somebody don't? What if the kids there that would just gravitate to you today if you would be there? What if that person that just fell in love with your personality, that little kid that wouldn't see anybody else but because you're unique and God's made you who he made you, they look at you and they say, I, just, I don't know how kids fall in love with certain teachers, but they do. Are you with me? They do. And all of a sudden they think they walk on water. Amen? Well, you see, who's going to hear the gospel if God's called you to preach and you don't preach it? Say, well, Pastor Sainz, you're doing a pretty good job. We've got all this media. Let me say this. God's still calling young men and young women to preach the gospel. Well, who's gonna ha what's going to happen if you don't respond to the call? What's the price that's going to be paid? Will these babies be taken care of? Will this person hear the name of Jesus Christ? Well, let me say this. If you don't live the life in front of them, guess what? You might be the only testimony that somebody will ever see. Huh? That's right, you might be the only testimony that somebody will ever see. I, I was pleased that I was in Stephens, and AJ might hate me saying this, but uh, there was a lady that she's a guard there at the prison, and she said, you know, I kind of felt convicted with your son that was there, and she was talking about AJ and uh, Andrew, and she said, uh, here I am cussing and carrying on and getting mad and doing things, and if he's 20-something years old and can live a Christian life, I ought to be able to. Y'all with me? Say Amen. If you don't do it, if you don't go, if you don't take part, 
what's going to be the price the price for that person that you did not help. The price for that person that, 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 that you was going to share the gospel to. And then, listen, what about the price that you're going to pay? You know the price that you're going to pay? I said this to our church three years ago when we were making the big decision about building this. It was a huge decision. It was a decision that haunted me, that, that haunted the staff. It was because everything was predicated upon it. We felt like God wanted us to do it. I, I got together and preached a message to the congregation that was there. And I said something like this. One of the roughest things would ever happen in our life. One of the saddest days would be for us to look back in 20 years with regret and say, Oh, if we had only done what God put in our heart to do. Are you all with me? Do you know what happened in the Bible? Did you know they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all of those people who had a chance to possess the promised land until all of those men died? Not one of them came into the promised land. They had to live for 40 years with regret saying, if we had only done what God caused us to do, wanted us to do, called us to do. So let me share with you a story of a doctor that was jogging along Lake Michigan. He came upon a large crowd, middle-aged man, lying on the ground. He said, I stopped to assess the scene. I saw the man wasn't moving at all. Two people were bending over him and trying to shake him awake. What happened, I asked. He fell, someone said. A woman, did, did anyone see it? She nodded. He walked along and uh, maybe he tripped or something. I couldn't tell you, but he just crumpled over. I identified myself as a doctor, the man said, pushed my way through the crowd, checked to see if he was breathing. He wasn't. If he had a pulse, and he didn't. Has anyone called 911? And they hadn't. What he's saying is, wait, wait a minute. And I understand that there are people who absolutely lock up, freak out, if I can use that term. My daughter's one of them, Carly. I, I love you, baby. That's how do you... <laughs> I remember when Reagan was a little thing, she, uh, she just started walking, and she's walking along, and we got this tile floor, and she stumbled and leaned, fell back and hit her head on the entertainment center. Passed clean out cold. I'm out there in the yard on the telephone talking to somebody, and uh, AJ picks her up, and they run toward the car, and Carly's a basket. Ah! You know? Call 911. So uh, I called 911. I don't even know who it's about yet, but I called them. I got them on the phone. Hello, can I help you? What's your emergency? And I said, my granddaughter, she knocked out cold. And, you know, uh, all of this. The thing is, somebody has got to keep their head. In about a few seconds, it seemed like a minute, but I'm sure it wasn't. All of a sudden, she got her breath and started crying. The 911 operator said, is that her crying? I said, yeah, that's her. That's a good sign. I said, well, praise God. That's a good sign. The thing about it, AJ had already swooped her up. And he's headed to the car. I'm already on the, and Carly's still in the floor. So I'm like, oh, Well, she wasn't in the floor, but she was somewhere. Scared. And don't even let thunder clap. If thunder claps, Lord Jesus. Hello? All the girls have got to go up underneath the bed and sheets and everything, barricade them in. It'll be an afternoon tropical storm. And what I'm saying is this. Somebody has got to keep their head in an emergency situation. 
And this man said, here's a whole crowd of people gathered around a man that they said he just all of a sudden crumbled over. He's laying supine on the ground. There he is. I checked for a pulse and there wasn't one. I checked for, for, for him breathing and there was no breath. And uh, I've done all these things. And I said, has anybody called 911? No. Y'all going to sit here and let him die? Well, I want you to understand there's a, it is a phenomenon, it is a real situation. It is called the diffusion of responsibility. It is a phenomenon that takes place when a task is placed before a group of people. I mean, they have figured this out. That when a task is placed before a group of people, there's a strong tendency for the individual to assume that somebody else is going to take care of it, and oftentimes nobody does. So they die. And did you know what? The bigger the crowd, the more people are duped into thinking somebody else has got it taken care of. How many times have you drove by an accident and said, man, that looks horrible. Uh, you know, I ought to call 911. Nah, somebody's already called them. What if they haven't? Hello? He said, I don't want to... Listen, it's better to have 15 calls than it is to not have one. Listen... Why is it that we fail to act? Why is it that we fail to do what we know we ought to do? What, was that a mean bunch of people that just didn't care if this man breathed? Well, were they people that didn't like him? No, it wasn't an evil crowd, someone glad that he collapsed. It was a large crowd of strangers, many of whom had undoubtedly seen him collapse besides the woman that I had spoken to. They were all concerned, I'm sure, and at least two of them um, hadn't entirely surrendered to the shock of seeing someone fall unconscious. But no one had seen no one, it seemed, had done the most single critical thing, and that was to, you know, that would mean a difference in life and death, and that is to call 911. Nobody had done it. It's called the bystander effect. It's a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases where, where individuals do not offer any means of help to a victim because there's so many people, they say, well, somebody else will surely do it. You and I don't have the luxury of making that assumption. I cannot assume that someone else is going to train our children in the ways of the Word of God. I can't assume that somebody else is going to call our guest. I can't assume that this is going to happen and that is going to happen. I have to take responsibility and say, God has called me to look after this church, to be the candlestick here, and to check and make sure something good's happening for the children, to make sure something's good happening for the adults, to make sure life groups are running efficiently. Now, You've you got to understand that not necessarily somebody's going to do it. And then there's a price to pay for us if we don't do it. If we, if we don't do what God's called us to do, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to never feel fulfilled. I'll never forget laying on the floor and the Lord speaking to me. And he said, you will never be happy until you do what I've called you to do. 
you'll never be happy. And I'll tell you something, with all of the ins and outs of pastoral ministry, I don't know of anything I'd rather do than to preach the Word of God and to be right here, right where I'm at. Let me say this, what we need to do corporately, and I'm going to tell you, I have to do it in my own ministry. It's not just preaching the gospel every Sunday. It's not um, preaching or teaching on Wednesday night. It is asking God constantly, what is the next thing coming down the pike for this earth, for this community that I'm in? What is the next great thing? Do we need to, we, we need to stay on the cutting edge. Let me say this, for if you're a sports fan or whatever, you want your team to stay on the cutting edge. They don't always do it, amen, but you want them to be there. So you recruit the best way you can recruit. You try your best. Let me say this. We need to step up. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to step up. Look back at him and say, I know i got to, too. So I need you to step up. I need you to stand in the gap. I want to tell you something. We have put some lofty goals out there this year. We're believing God for 750 people on Easter Sunday. Amen. Amen. We are. We're believing God to run 500 by this time next year or by December next year, this coming 2016. You know how we're going to do it? Because we're going to step up. I'm going to ratchet it up. You're going to ratchet it up. God's going to help us to do it. And as we do that, God's going to honor His Word and He's going to bring people into the kingdom of God. Step up then. Stand in the gap. Ezekiel says that God sought for a man to stand up, to, to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap. Jeremiah said, I'm just a child. But the Lord said, don't let me hear that anymore. You're not just a child. You shall go to all that I send thee. You shall speak my words, for I have put my words in your mouth. Isaiah saw the Lord and said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I'm going to tell you something. When you see an encounter with God, when you really see God high and lifted up, I don't care who you are and what occupation you've got or what degree of education you've got, you're going to say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Once you get to that place, you've seen the face of the Lord. You're going to say, I've got to live the rest of my life for him. Paul had made it. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He worked for the state, if you will. He had already made it as high as he could make it. He was an affluent man. He had everything going for him. But that day on the Damascus Road, when he saw the Lord, something changed. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency and the knowledge of him. Amen. Uh, you see, I've not yet attained that which I was apprehended for. But daily, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you pressing toward the mark? Are you happy just to ride the boat with the rest of us? Well, you know, our name is the harbor, and I love that. But a harbor is a place where, you know, Kings Bay's got a harbor. You know, it's, got, it's a refit facility. It's where you come in and you do some introspection. You come in and you look at yourself and see if I'm seaworthy. You come in you have people looking at you. You have people scraping on you. You have people repainting you. You, have, you know what that means? That's where we get our word anointing, where you smear something on. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Where you get treated and fixed up and sent back to sea. 
That's what God's wanting us to do at the harbor. On Sundays we come in here to be refit. On Sunday we come in here to celebrate and say, God, if there's a wrong way in me, if there's something messed up and jacked up about me, fix me before I go back to sea tomorrow. Somebody else will do it. You say, no. We cannot count that somebody else will do it. When will we, like Jeremiah, stand up and say, I'll go. When will we, ladies, be like Ruth and say, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your country will be my country. Where you live, there will I live. There when you die, I'll die also. How many will be like Esther and say, if I die, I die, but I'm going to do the will of the Lord. That for which I was born for. Ashley said, for such a time as this, ladies. How many will be like Ruth? How many will be like Esther? How many will be like Jael? Who drove the tent peg through a warrior's head while he was asleep. How many will step up? Like Abigail. How many will step up like Samson and say, this is my time? How many like Jephthah? How many like Gideon? How many ladies like a Pr- uh, Priscilla? How many that opened their home like Aquila? How many like Ezekiel? How many like David that says, I want to do what God wants me to do? I'm going to tell you, we get so psyched out about building our own little mansion down here. It's one day going to pass away. This earth is not my home. We are pilgrims passing through. I love all the th- I enjoy some things here on the earth. I enjoy getting together with people. I enjoy some hunting and some fishing and skydiving and all that, but this place is not my home. I am working for the eternal Father, and one day I'll live in the eternal kingdom. Amen. He left here to prepare a place for me. He said, I'm going to go and prepare it. I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, I'm working for a crown that fadeth not away, that he shall give to me, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Amen. Paul said, it's not just for me, but I'm pressing toward the mark. Now, let me try to land this thing if I can. I don't even know if I can. Do not live with the attitude that one day I'm going to serve him. Well, well, when I get my degree, one day I'm going to serve him. Listen, friend, that day might not. I want you to get your degree. Serve God until you do. And once you've got, listen, I didn't get mine until way late in life. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And uh, I was past the 40 mark. And uh, let me say this, but I preached like a man on fire. I preached and worked for the kingdom of God while I was working toward it. I understand that the the degree don't anoint me. Are y'all hearing me? I understand that the position don't anoint me. Amen. So I had to go to work for the Lord. Amen. So don't look around and say, well, one day. Can I tell you this? Let let me skip down. I'm going to come back to something here in a moment. Romans says, serve the Lord with your gifts. He said, For I say, though the grace that is given to me, everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think, but to think soberly. It's Romans 12 and 3. As God has dealt to each of us the measure of faith, verse 4. For as many of us are members in one body, say we're members of one body, but all members do not have the same function. Mm-hmm. Verse 5 says, So we being many are one body in Christ, individual members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that God has given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion of faith that we have. 
If it is ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What God says or what the apostle is telling us here, as he wrote to the Romans, is that God has designed us uniquely. Every one of us will not preach like the pastor. Every one of us will not play like, like the music director or lead connections or youth like Pastor Josh or, or, or whatever. I'm simply saying God has uniquely called each and every one of us. I, I, I see Beth out there, or I did at some point. I know she's out there. There she is. Well, she was so excited to go to Guatemala with us, I'm telling you. She, she laid hands on somebody and prayed with them for the very first time in her life. She come to dinner that night and said, Whoa, I laid hands on somebody and prayed for the first time in my life. Oh, praise God. I was so excited. Brother Tyson got so excited, he said, Well, why don't you pray over dinner tonight? She said, Oh, Lord, I ain't never prayed over dinner. <laughs> well, there's a first time for that, too. So she prayed over dinner. And, oh, hallelujah, praise God. And then she called me and said, Pastor, I just got to do something for the Lord. I got to do something. I said, Well, come on up to church. We'll find something for you to do. So this past week, she's been in the office with us for two or three days a week. Are y'all with me? Calling some of our sick and shut-ins. Calling from some of those that are hurting. And I, you see, that's what I'm talking about. Stepping up to the plate. Being a part, doing something for the Lord. Now listen, don't say that, they, that there's a time when harvest is coming. Don't say that it's four months. Let me say this. Jesus said, I tell you, the harvest is already ripe. And then he said in Luke 10, the harvest is great. I want you to know something. The harvest in Camden County. Listen to me. Let, let me talk to you for just a second here. We got a lot of churches in Camden County, don't get me wrong. We got one on every corner. About the time you disagree with me, you go start your own. And uh, that's how it is. I've been there and done. I've been here 20 years, been in pastoral ministry over 25. So I'm just telling you, uh, we got a lot of churches. But let me say this make no mistake about it. We got enough people in Camden County to fill every single church three or four times. Easy. So there ain't no sense in us bickering and squabbling about if you went to Christ Church or you went to Southeast or you went to St. Mary's. Let's just win who God will give us. The lost. To win, let's win them people like Beth. Amen. Let's win them people that ain't nowhere. Those people that say, I'm just lost. I just need Jesus. That's who will make the church go. Lord, help me, Jesus. Don't say it's four months. Jesus said the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Oh. Let me see what he said. The laborers are few. A seven on that list. Two on that list. Lord, have mercy. Jesus said the laborers are few. Ain't none on that list. There's two on that list. Let me just look around because Jesus said it. I do trust him. There ain't none on that list. There's one on that list. Jesus said the laborers are few. He said the harvest is great. There's a lot of work to be done. And you know, here, here's something else I want you to get this. Because it sounds horrible. I don't want to guilt somebody into doing something that they absolutely hate doing. Please don't do that. Unless God pulls your chain and says it's time for you to do something, don't just come and sign up to make me feel good. You know why? You'll cause me more problems because I'll have to have a meeting behind those doors with you in about six months and tell you that ain't the way we do it here. 
Hello, I done been there. Had enough of them. So do yourself a favor. If you just absolutely say, well, bless George and Pat, I ain't going to do it. Don't. Don't. You save the staff some heartache from having to deal with you in a few weeks. So I want to tell you something. Jesus said this. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, you hear this. Jesus said, I am among you as one that serves. Everybody come with this crazy mentality that when we get saved, we ought to be, our Cadillac's coming in, our money's coming in. Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man don't even have a place to lay his head, and he created all of it. Borrowed everything he had in this life, but yet owned it all. Isn't that a paradox? Jesus said, I serve. Isaiah said, I'll go. Ruth said, I'll go. Rahab, even the harlot Rahab said, you know what? You know, hey, don't laugh at her. I know she ran the house of ill repute there, but guess what? She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ because she said, you know what? I'm tired of running this whorehouse. I'm going to serve. Y'all with me? Oh, y'all didn't think they had them kind, did you, in the Bible? Yeah, somebody just lost out there. I'm going to serve. This is why we were born. At least born again. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that, Pastor. Listen, the Lord did not save us to just sit silent and do nothing. He didn't save us to sit here and be a bystander. He saved us to do an integral part. Now, I understand. You know, we had this team that went with us down to Guatemala. Just an absolutely phenomenal trip. I loved it. And you know what? <clears throat> every one of them people worked. I'm telling you, they worked hard. Every one of them, man, woman, boy, girl, they worked some of you wanted to go but couldn't go. Absolutely understandable. Some of you wanted to go and unable physically to go. And said, you know what, though, Pastor, we're praying for you. And you meant it, and you really did pray for us. And then the others said, I'm praying, and I'm going to reach in here, and I'm going to give. And you've done that, and God bless you for it. But there will be some things right here that you can take part of. I, you know, I want to see our church do the greatest impact in the kingdom of God this year than we've ever done before. Amen? I want it to be that when someone's talking about having a child that's addicted to drugs and alcohol, whatever, someone says, y'all took him to the harbor. Huh? I want it to be that someone said, man, I'm sick in my body and whatever, y'all took him to the harbor. Huh? I want it to be someone says, I'm discouraged, I'm despondent, I'm depressed. Have y'all been to church at the harbor? I'm not listening, I'm not saying we're the only one. I'm saying I want us to be right in the middle of what God wants us to be doing. I don't want us to, to, to cut corners for anybody. I don't want us to dampen the Word of God or water it down for anybody. But I want us to be a hospital for the hurting. I want us to be a place where we refit people for the kingdom of God. Where we take someone that says, I feel called to do ministry and say, we will equip you. We will teach you. We will help you be effective in what God has called you to do. Listen. The key is to getting others, getting you to feel responsible for helping solve the problems that you may not consider your problem. Look around and say, well, they need workers in DSM. That ain't really my problem. My kids are grown. You don't know the times I've heard people say, you know what, I ain't got kids in the nursery. I've heard people say, I ain't got no teenage kids. I done raised mine. 
Does that relieve you from the covenant we take? Listen, I know church covenants don't mean bill squat to most people. But when we do a baby dedication and we ask the mom and dad, and we say, will you raise him in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? Yes. Will you bring him to the house of God? Not send him, but will you live a life and an example before him? And then we ask the congregation, will you as a congregation support them? Will you be there for them? And we say yes. Are y'all hearing me? I'll be, I'll be there. I'll help. I'll do what I can. We take it so lightly anymore. It, it amazes me. Let, me. let me just move on before I start meddling. Truly great companies know that they need to instill in other people that go-getter mentality that says, I'm willing to help others even if it don't seem to be my problem. I was in Red Lobster. I can't even remember where I was at. I think it was Hilton Head. Kelly and I had been somewhere on vacation. We're coming back. And I'll never forget, I was really impressed by this because they had a big, big party of people there in the back. And, and the place was just packed, just how it was. We were in Red Lobster, and um, we were eating. And I remember our, our server got tied up helping with this other big party that was over there. And another person come by, and uh, they looked over and said, Sir, you need some tea? And they just filled my tea glass right up. And it wasn't long, one of us needed something else, and, and somebody else come by. It wasn't our server and whatever, and, and they just filled our glass up. And I, and I stopped and I said, that's amazing to me. Because I eat in hundreds of restaurants, hundreds of restaurants. And so many times people say, well, that's just not my section. He said, Red Lobster teaches us the team approach. That is, if you see someone needs something, you help them whether they're in your section or not because it's a reflection on Red Lobster. Not just on your tip for tonight. Are y'all hearing me? And I thought, man, that's a kingdom principle right there. That, that, that we ought to be willing to help whether or not, well, I ain't got no kids as teenagers. Let them do whatever, so what? No. Listen, I've got one or two people that's older than I am that says, you know what? I love children. I want to help children. Listen, as you stand with me right now. There was a very important job to be done. Everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it. But nobody did it. Somebody got angry because uh, about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. It's amazing. We cannot get caught up in this well. Somebody else is going to be there for them. I want you to know this, and then, and then we're going to pray. The kingdom of God is directly impacted by every signature. Every, let me rephrase that. Every meaningful signature. In other words, if you sign up and don't ever show up, that they, you ain't impacted the kingdom, nothing. You've wasted our time. You're going to learn that about me. I'm just straight with what you see is what you get. But everybody who signs a dotted line, everybody does anything. I don't care if it's writing a card, if it's a telephone call, if it's coming to put on an orange vest and direct traffic, if, it, if it's to clean up after something, if it's to help here, help there, whatever. Whatever it is, everybody that volunteers, serves, makes a direct 
an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. Let me say this. For everybody who signs up and works, that truly does what say they do. Did you know this is a proven fact? Four people, let me just use today. Right now, every volunteer we have, everybody that directed a car this morning, everybody that shook a hand said, God bless you. Today is the last day of the Mythbuster series. Pastor's going to preach somebody else. I'll do it. Everybody that printed a bulletin or, or, or done something for the media, everybody that played an instrument, sang a song, everybody that done anything for this service today, four people are in this congregation because you worked. That's right. For every volunteer that done anything, there are four people in the sanctuary today because of it. It's a proven fact. If you have 90 volunteers, you're going to have 360 plus or minus just a little bit, just a percentage point or two. And so when we put people to work in the kingdom of God, it makes a difference in the kingdom eternally. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.